we have gathered to worship God. So as we stand, we're going to hear some words from the Bible. They come from the Psalms. They come from Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of his faithful people. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and harp. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Let his faithful people rejoice in his honour and sing for joy on their beds. It's quite hot for dancing. But I want you to hear one verse again. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He takes delight in us. What, a, what an amazing thing. A few times a year I go to spend three days silence in a monastery. And uh, I take part in the office that the monks sing. And, and it is sung, which for somebody with my musical aptitude is quite a challenge. But they have a really simple way of enabling people like me to join in. Because I can tell when I'm going up and down. I've not got a great deal of understanding about how far up and down I've gone. But what they do is they sing psalms on a key, just on one pitch. It's called plain song, because it's plain, and it's really simple. And then, to dolly it up a little bit, they have a dash underneath the fourth syllable from the end of a line, and they have a piece of music that long with four dots. And sometimes they go down, sometimes they go up, and sometimes they do an up and down or a down and up. And I can join in. I know the direction, and it doesn't really seem to matter too much if I go the same distance as other people. So far, they've been exceedingly gracious, and no one has hurt me. But there are some psalms that you sing every day in a monastery, and the one that we're looking at this evening, Psalm 148, is one of those. And so whenever I read the psalm, I actually know it in the version from the Psalter, not from the NIV or the authorised version or any particular translation. And so we're going to read it in that version. I'm not going to suggest that we sing it because that would be one step too far. But there is a rhythm to it. And so I suppose we could do it men and ladies, couldn't we? How about, forget the leader and all, that was never intended. Um, How about the guys do the white verses and the ladies do the yellow? Can we do that? Because it's nice to do it and not have to say all of the words. Okay, so guys are white, ladies are yellow, and we'll all come together at the end. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise God in the heights. 
Praise the Lord, sun and moon. Praise Him, you bright shining stars. Let them praise the name of the Lord, who gave the command and they were created. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters and all deeps. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. Sovereigns of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the world. Let them praise the name of the Lord, whose name only is exalted whose splendour is over earth and heaven. The Lord has raised up strength for his people and praise for all the Lord's servants. The children of Israel, a people who are near to the Lord. Hallelujah. Have I got it? Brilliant. Here we go. I'll just get the other ten sides of paper out now. I've been told that we've got to be done by quarter to nine anyway, because Carol said she had a chicken in the oven last week and it got scorched. It's always difficult to know what is in somebody else's mind when they set a text and a theme for a sermon. I have no doubt that when Tim put together this preaching plan, he had in his mind a particular direction. I don't know what it is. So I've got two things. The first one is day two of creation, and the second one is Psalm 148. And so the way I have approached this is I thought the most important thing is to make sure I've got all my ducks in a row. So here they are. There's my ducks. And what I mean by this is I want to make sure that I do justice to the psalm. I'm not convinced that the psalm actually is only about day two. I think it's about a lot more than that. So what I want to do is to look at the passage in general. I want to offer you some thoughts about what I think it might be about. And I want to ask you some questions which I'm not going to answer for you about how we ought to approach this psalm and perhaps the text from Genesis chapter 1. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. 
God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. So I want to begin by very nearly nailing my colours to the mast. But before I do, I just want to test that you're all awake. I wonder if you could finish these well-known phrases for me. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a... I'm impressed. What big ears you have, Grandma. All the better to... We will eat this bread as we... Thanks be to the God and Father of... You were able to finish all of those because you have learnt all of those in a repetitive manner. I, the going on a bear hunt story is lovely. It's brilliant with children, and children love stories that have got a bit of repetition. They love them very much. I know a child who is now 56 years of age, who this week has spent £7.50 to buy the book The Pear-Shaped Hill, because I used to read it when I was five, laying in my bed, and I found it on Amazon. And somebody gave me some Amazon vouchers for my birthday last week, and I thought, I can buy The Pear-Shaped Hill. It's a repetitive story. And you see, when we read these words in Genesis chapter 1 and indeed in chapter 2, we need to be really careful about how we approach them. We need to recognise the role of repetition in remembering stuff. Repetition, like we have in Genesis, it's liturgy. It's been written like that so that it can be passed on. Now, I'm not going to tell you what I think about seven days of creation and a rest, but I want to share some thoughts with you. I don't think that Genesis 1 is trying to explain to me the timeline for the creation of the universe. I don't think that that's what its point is. I think it's remarkable that Genesis 1, and indeed the psalm that we're looking at this evening, has the order of creation the way scientists who look at God's created matter and work stuff out from it. And I think that that's miraculous. Because I don't think that back then, with the level of scientific development that we'd undergone, we'd have got that right. I used to be a chef. And I know that when you make chocolate eclairs you make a thing called a panade. It's equal amounts of fat and flour, exactly the same as you would make for a roux, but you add eggs to it. Now, the recipe will tell you how many eggs to add. The problem is that nobody has told chickens exactly what size eggs should be. If you carry on putting all of the eggs in that the recipe says all in one go, you will not end up with chocolate eclairs. 
you will end up with a very large, quite ornate-looking base for a lovely omelette. I joke, but sometimes when we come to these things in Scripture, we miss the miracle and focus on something that actually the text was never meant to do. That's been kept in Genesis not to teach me about the timeline of creation, but to teach me about why and who. Because I could only have found that out if somebody told me. There wasn't anybody around in that first week, however long that first week was. And I think that the psalmist is doing a similar thing. I don't think he wants us to focus on the day of creation, any particular day. Oh, there's helpful numbers at the bottom of the page. Isn't that useful? So we're getting our ducks in a row. In this psalm, there are two calls to worship, aren't there? Did you spot that? Verse 1 and verse 7. If you've got a Bible, you might find it handy to have it sort of open. If you haven't got one, look over the shoulder of somebody who's got a mobile phone in front of you. Okay, so we've got two calls to worship. One is a call to the heavens to worship. And the other is a call to the earth. And... uh, And just to confuse matters, we've got two heavens as well, haven't we? Did you spot that? The word heavens is used in two different ways in this psalm. One is to describe the dwelling of the spiritual beings, the angels and the archangels, the heavenly bodies, but not Jupiter, Mars and Pluto. And the other does describe the realm of Brian Cox and Patrick Moore. The rolling spheres that we sing about in the hymn. But the psalmist calls both of these to worship. Why? Because his focus is not about creation and how long it's taken. His focus is not about the supernatural spiritual world. His focus is about who made it all. I've got a posh car. I've got a Ford Focus. Titanium. I get in my car. I press a little button and the engine purrs to life. Engine, sorry Sarah. It's an engine where I come from. It's an engine in Rygate and Red Hill. (laughs) I haven't got the first clue how it works. I walk away from my car and it locks automatically and then I sneak back to it to check. But the problem is when you sneak back, your keys unlock it, so you never really know whether it's actually locked. The psalmist here is not talking about the 
what the earth is like. He's not talking about what the angels are like. He's talking about what God is like, who created all of this. Two heavens, we've got two earths. The first earth, in verses 7 to 10, is the created world. The world of... I wrote this all down because I wanted to make sure I got the words right because there might be people here who work in these spheres and they'll tell me off. Geography, the world of geography, geology, meteorology, that's to do with the weather, not gas meters and electric meters. Botany, zoology, all of these sciences are in this song. And people tell me that faith and science don't exist together. What a load of hunkum. It's just complete rubbish, isn't it? But this physical earth isn't the only earth that the psalmist talks about because he moves from from that that we we study into that which we experience and he moves into the realms of politics kings rulers he moves into the realm of of politically elected people and then beyond that he does something that's really unpopular in our present culture. It's fine. You can have conversations with all your friends about all kinds of moral issues. But as soon as you start talking about human culpability for the state of anything, and you're not willing to just point the finger and say, "Oh, well, it's Theresa May's fault. As soon as you say, well, actually, it's us, isn't it? We're, we're the problem. People don't like that. And this psalm starts with the political powers and it ends up with us, men and women. Two heavens, two earths, and there's two reasons for praising. The first reason is because, as we've said, however he did it and however long he did it, He created and sustains all things. The way the psalmist put it, he says, you made it and you have established it by a decree that will not pass away. I worry about all kinds of things. I don't worry about a meteor hitting the earth. I don't know how God will bring about the end of time. I don't know that. I don't know exactly what it will look like when Jesus comes back. We're given lots of imagery, aren't we? But but when I think of the other imagery that we've got about the moon turning to blood, and then just last week we get an eclipse and the moon went like blood. Who knows what all those things mean? Isn't that the point? We, we sang, did you notice we sang some words from Job? Who's locked up the storehouses in the heavens, the rain, the hail, the snow? There's lots of stuff we don't know. But this we do. He created all things from nothing. He holds all things at this moment in being. Two reasons. 
it really would have been a good idea to have my Bible open, like I told you to, at the right psalm, and not the one from my morning reading. Da-da-da-da. If you talk amongst yourselves while I get there, here we go. And then the second reason. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Why? Because only his name is to be exalted. His splendour is above the earth and the heavens. Now, it doesn't just mean on top of, it means greater than. Greater than. So the last thing I want to talk about is really, so what? We've got our ducks in a row, Brian. You've, you've done that bit of the job. Well, the first one is, this psalm is about the Lord. The description of the days of creation at the beginning of Genesis is about the Lord. It's not about how long it takes. It's not about the order. It's great that those things are in the right place, isn't it? But it's about the Lord doing this. That's what it's about. And we're told it in the, in the psalm, aren't we? In verse 1, twice. The Lord, the Lord. Verse 5, the Lord. Verse 7, the Lord. Verse 13, the Lord. It's about the Lord. But it's also about a saviour. Did you catch the hint that Jesus is coming? At the back end of the psalm. Did you get it? Well, if you were Anglicans... During Lent, you would read the reading for Wednesday every day as part of the morning prayer. And you would read over and over again, he has raised up a horn for his people. Over and over. And that word horn was translated to strength in the one that we read, wasn't it? But it means a saviour. It means one who will redeem. The Lord will raise up a redeemer for his people. And the lovely thing about this is that God only has the one plan. So in the word people, we get a breakdown of that, don't we? We get Israel and who else? Have a quick look at your Bible. Who else? Begins with sir. Ends in ain'ts. Ain't ain't grammar, my dad would say. Saints. So in that psalm, before anybody could have put it there on purpose, is a description of God's people in the Old Testament and God's people now. And both have the same Lord. Both have the same Saviour. God only has one plan for all of his people. It's Jesus. There's nothing else. There's not anything else coming down the road. Getting your ducks in a row is about being right with Jesus. In that psalm, there's a huge warning, isn't there? In our culture at the moment, there are people walking around with an awful lot of ink on their skin. Now, I'm an exhaler. Tattoos used to have a meaning for sailors. 
There were certain tattoos that a sailor would have and they symbolised to other people how far you'd travelled. People would have a, a swallow on their hands, one for five oceans and one for seven seas, if you'd been on them. You'd find sailors with swallows tattooed on their neck and the reason for that is sailors are very superstitious. They, would, they believe that if you have swallows tattooed on your neck you won't drown. I wouldn't put it to the test. There are people who think that if you were born, while certain of the heavenly bodies are in a particular alignment, today you're going to meet a tall, dark stranger. There's warnings in here, aren't there? Don't worship the creation. Worship the creator. Don't get hooked on things that do not save. Get hooked on the one who does. He will raise up for his people a horn of salvation. Not a political leader. He said, political leaders... You worship. Kings, you worship. What do we put our trust in? Because I think we put our trust in all kinds of things at different times. And I think the psalmist, when he wrote this, he was encouraging the people. This psalm was used as they went up to worship. These last few psalms in the book of Psalms are brilliant, aren't they? There's more worship psalms made out of these last four than there are out of all the rest of the psalms put together, mainly because some of them are quite gloomy. But I've lost my page. There we go. But as we come to the table, the thing that we remember here, isn't it the same thing that the psalmist is writing about? Isn't, isn't it that there is one Lord, one Lord and Saviour? The psalmist says there's only one name that's to be exalted. And we're told there is only one name by which we must be saved. One name under heaven given to men by which they must be saved. We reenact here the loss of a body, a truly heavenly body, for the forgiveness of sins for all who truly believe. We reenact here the blood that came out of his side when they stuck the spear in him to make sure he was dead, that he had prophesied would be for the washing away of the sins of the whole world. One Lord, one Saviour. And if we were Anglicans, we would say, we all are one body because we all share in one bread. I think the psalmist was reminding the people who were going up to worship. 
that their God was God. That there was no other. That there was nothing else to put their hope in that would save them. There was nothing else for them to get hooked on or addicted to. That he was their life blood. And I love the fact that it hangs together logically. I love all of that. Well, I think I've got my ducks in a row. I hope that you can make sense of it. Some questions I want to ask you, and I don't have the answers, but you need to answer these. Are there things at the moment for you that actually you put more trust in than Jesus? And that's an easy thing for me to say, isn't it? It's really difficult to be in a job that you don't think is the right place for you when you've got a mortgage and you've got family members and you've got commitments. And, and what would happen if, if, if you did go in on Tuesday and just put your notice in? It, we say these things glibly, don't we? And I don't want it to be like that for you. So are there things in your life that you know are places where the heavenly bodies, that you're looking to something else, and not to the one who made them. Because if you are, then you're in good company, because that's where lots of us are a lot of the time. We follow Jesus, and we are a ragtag and bobtail group. And we cheer one another up, and we cheer one another on, and we somehow get through And he picks us up at the other end and says, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And you think, were you on the same walk that I was on? Did you not see? And he sees it all. And he covered it all. He dealt with it all. And he calls us all back as one people to partake in one bread and one cup. Why? for the forgiveness of sins. We're missing out a song. Is that okay? I don't know what the song is, but we're missing out. All glory to the King of... So we won't do that, because they won't know it either. Don't tell anyone. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm finished playing with that. So I hope you get it. God loves you to bits. He's made provision for you constantly to be renewed and restored. He is the Lord of everything. There is nothing else, no one else, no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And it is this Jesus who invites you to this table. This ain't mine, and it does not belong to the deacons. This is our table. It shouldn't be up here. It should be down there. That's where it should be because we come to it. There shouldn't be special people to hand it round. It should just be us passing it to one another, tearing chunks off. And those people who've got no teeth, breaking a little bit off and giving it to them, it should be just like that. 
It is a big deal. But not for the reasons that we make it a big deal. Listen to these words. Come to this table. I'm tempted to get us all up here. Come to this table, not because you must, but because you can. Not because you're strong, but because you're like me. And you need forgiveness. Come not because of any goodness of your own gives you a right to come, but because you need mercy and help. Come because you love the Lord a little and you would love to love him more. Come because he loves you. Come and meet the risen Christ. Not just in the bread, not just in the cup, but in the body, for we are his body. The Apostle Paul tells us of the institution of the Lord's Supper. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup, saying... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And just as Jesus prayed a prayer of thanksgiving over the bread, so John is going to come and lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving. And uh, if you're serving at table, I'm glad you are. And come and join us. Lord God, we thank you for this bread. We thank, we thank you for what it represents. Jesus, the bread of life. We're amazed that you have done this for us. Your body broken for us. Your actual physical body that you took the pain and the punishment and the beating in your body. And we look at this, just a loaf of bread, but we know the words you said, I am the bread of life. We thank you for the awesome sacrifice that you gave, the incredible love that you show us. And we remember that as we eat this bread this evening. Amen. After supper, Jesus took a cup and he gave thanks for that. We're going to be led in a prayer of thanksgiving for the cup. Lord God, as we take this wine, we're reminded that on the one hand it is awful, but it is also beautiful as it is a symbol of your precious blood shed for each and every one of us. And we realise we are not worthy so much, so much as to gather up the crumbs under the table and yet you stoop down to save us. And so we kneel before you in grateful remembrance of your blood shed 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to hold on to our cups until everybody is served and then once we've all been served, we'll drink together. For your goodness and generosity in giving us all we need, help us to praise you, O God. In every circumstance of life, in good times and bad, help us to trust you, O God. In love and faithfulness, with all that we have and all that we are, help us to serve you, O God. As we speak or write or listen to those nearby or far away, help us to share your love, O God. In our plans and work for ourselves and for others, help us to glorify you, O God. In every thought and word and deed, by the power of your Holy Spirit, this week, may we live for you, O God. In the name of Christ we ask this. Amen.